No justice, no peace. These four words clumped together are not words that I ever imagined my three-and-a-half-year-old son would hear echoing down the streets of our neighborhood. And then repeat, mimicking the cadence of the chant, followed shortly thereafter by, Daddy, what justice is? And it was one of those moments where in trying to figure out how to explain the concept of justice in a way that a three-year-old would understand, that I realized the challenge of describing justice. Justice has turned into a polarizing word. What justice looks like to one set of people may look entirely different to the next. It's a word in which the dictionary definition doesn't communicate the complexities behind how justice is or is not played out in society. Culturally, there's a spectrum of justice theories ranging anywhere from individualism, where we are the product of our own choices, to collectivism, where we are the product of social structures. And somewhere along these spectrum, the spectrum, we find the ways in which justice is carried out in our world. But further study into each of these theories should leave us hungry for a better justice. Over the course of the next few weeks, we'll be taking a deeper look at the idea of biblical justice from the lens of the prophet Amos, who in a season of economic prosperity was sent by God to deliver a message to the people of Israel, warning them of the reality that without justice, there would be no peace. As we launch into this book, I want to first take a brief look at the historical and sociological context. Who is Amos? Who is he speaking to and why? Amos opens the words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. We don't actually know much about Amos. He tells us a few things about himself, but very few things. He was a shepherd from the town of Tekoa. It's a town which is in Judah, near Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Amos was from the southern kingdom of Judah, and yet his words are addressed to his brothers and sisters in the north kingdom, Israel. He was a shepherd and a sycamore fig tree farmer who was called by God to prophesy to the Israelites. Amos was a part-time prophet. He wasn't in it for the money, which may sound odd, but around those days, there were prophets who were paid to say what the king wanted to hear. Amos was not one of these types of prophets. In fact, in chapter 7, we hear an exchange between Amaziah, who was the priest for Jeroboam, um, in Israel, and he says to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there. Do your prophesying there. To which Amos replies, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd. I also took care of sycamore fig trees, but the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people, Israel. And yet, despite being a shepherd and a tree farmer, he was obviously an educated and intelligent man. He's well-versed in covenant theology, and he knows his history. He's a man who knows God, and he knows his northern brothers and sisters. 
And so God calls Amos to prophesy in Israel against the people's sins, especially their cheating and oppression of the poor. In terms of timing, we know that Uzziah was king of Judah from around 790 to 739 BC, and that Jeroboam was king in Israel from 793 to 753 BC. There is some archaeological evidence of an earthquake in Samaria around 760 BC, and so a placement of around 762 for Amos, give or take a few years, is probably pretty accurate. And this date is significant because when you bear in mind the fact 40 years later, Israel would fall to the Assyrian Empire. So through sermons, poems, and visions, Amos starts by prophesying judgment against the nations that are surrounding Israel, a message that would have fallen on very welcome ears. But then Amos shifts his focus and unleashes a message of rebuke against Israel. At the time that Amos was prophesying, both Judah and Israel were experiencing great wealth and unparalleled optimism. You see, to them, it would have seemed like the golden age that came under Solomon's reign had returned. Religion flourished. People flocked to the annual festivals. Sacrifices were made, and God was on their side. Life was good, or so they thought. Basically, the rich were ripping off the poor, corruption was the norm, and the justice system was a joke. And so Amos comes and he speaks against this oppression and injustice. As you might expect, these social conditions were reflecting religious habits. Israel was religious, yet it was a corrupt, ritualistic observance. It intertwined their worship with religious practices from neighboring countries that promoted immorality, godlessness, and idol worship. Not surprisingly, God pronounces judgment on such religion. Amos chapter 5, we read, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And so while Israel appeared to be prospering from the outside, internally it was decaying. Amos, in particular, underlines the relationship between false worship and social injustice, between empty faith and moral decay. Yet, too, we see the special relationship that exists between God and Judah and Israel. I suspect that part of the problem for Israel was that they knew that they were in a covenant relationship with God that he would be their God and they would be his people. Yet Israel was presuming that this relationship would continue despite their behavior. And to some extent, we see that at play in the church today. There is a myth in the church that is incredibly damaging to our Christian witness. There are pockets of Christianity that say calling for social justice is incongruent with the true gospel. 
That could not be farther from the truth. Just preach the gospel, they say. It's just a heart issue. And while, yes, sin is a heart issue, and we should never neglect to declare the grace that Jesus offers us, if the gospel preached doesn't translate to the gospel lived out, then what sort of gospel are we preaching? Throughout our study in Amos, we will see that seeking justice is not only congruent with the gospel, it is part of our responsibility as those who have heard and received the good news of Jesus Christ. In Amos chapter 3, verse 2, Amos reminds Israel, You only has God chosen of all the families of the earth. And because of that, therefore, I will punish you for all of your sins. Because of the covenant that God made with the people of Israel, they are held to a higher standard as God's representatives on earth. Israel should be leading by example. I chose you and only you, God reminds his people. In righteous indignation, God issues judgments against Israel for their failure to act justly. They are God's chosen people, but they have not lived lives worthy of this distinction. They have not lived out their lives in a way that reflects the character of God. For us, being followers of Jesus gives us an identity and it gives us a purpose. Our faith is not meant to just be played out in our individual lives, in our worship services. It's meant to be lived out both in private and in public. Amos' words in chapter 3 are reminiscent of Jesus' words in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, where he says, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Being God's people means doing justice. If we are following Christ, we will take seriously the humanity of those who make our clothes, who harvest our food. We will consider the dignity of the person who scans our groceries or picks up our garbage weekly. We will remember the worth of the resources that go into providing electricity for our homes or fuel for our cars. Sometimes I find it helpful to make a list of the things that I often take for granted. Not for the purpose of making a to-do list or a list of things to feel guilty about, but rather a list of the things that I often forget that I can be a better steward of as a follower of Jesus. So while there is quite a bit of doom and gloom in the message of Amos, there is also a great promise. God's covenant will remain, and a remnant of God's people will be built. From the concluding verses of Amos, he writes, In that day I will restore David's fallen tent. I will repair its broken laces, restore its ruins, and build it as it used to be. I will bring back my exiled people Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. This prophet of doom ends his message with hope.
It is a hope that God will and does preserve a people for himself, a remnant. And the relevance for us is that we are a part of that remnant. We are God's chosen people as the church. At the time of Amos' prophecies, northern Israel was enjoying their economic success. But they were spiritually empty. Worshipping worldly idols and twisting their moral perceptions. And they became known for cheating, stealing, and selling their poor into slavery. God is grieved by the evils he sees from Israel. But because of his mercy, he gives them a chance to repent. Amos is tasked with warning the Israelites of their coming judgment and urging them to turn back to God. In this book, we will see that loving others and righteous living is more important to God than religious sacrifice. Despite everything that Israel has done, God still desires to renew the hearts of his people through the coming Messiah. And that is true for us. No matter what we have done, God desires to renew the hearts of his people. And my prayer, City Church, is that we would be a people who have heard the good news and live the good news. Let us pray. Almighty God, I pray that as we enter into the study of the book of Amos, Lord, that you would bring to light areas in our lives where we have not been faithfully living out the call to live out your characteristics. Lord, we desire our lives to reflect the mercy and the grace that we have received through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to more of who you are, what your justice looks like, and how we might be a part of your kingdom work here on this earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.